0: Hi everyone, Jess here. Welcome to the first slapshot episode of the Goodwood Podcast. Slapshots are semi regular mini episodes that will run between 20 and 30 minutes each. We'll use them to address current hockey events as they pertain to transformative fandom, or to answer asks and emails that we want to discuss in a more informal or conversational way. The mini episode you're about to listen to explores our responses to the recent Hockey Canada sexual assault allegations. We don't discuss the specific details of the cases, but our conversation is very much about how we process sexual violence and misogyny in hockey culture. Please take care of yourselves. If this isn't your thing, that's totally fine. You can join us for a lighter episode next week. Thanks, everyone.
1: Of both episodes you've put out so far, I was wondering if you guys had plans to address how issues like the 2003 and 2018 World Junior scandals affect the way you approach being a hockey fan, and how you write about hockey in fit. Also, for Beck, what effects, if any, scandals like this one have had on hockey RPF in the past? Of course, I understand if you don't plan to discuss this as well, since it's such a heavy
0: and controversial topic. I'll start because I think this is a topic that I've been thinking about a lot and have been doing some writing about and have a lot of feelings about. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that has really interested me about this is that I feel like I'm not seeing as much of it on my Tumblr dash as I might expect. Um, And I think that that's really different for me in terms of. In relation to past fandoms I've been in where this kind of thing would really consume people's attention and energy for a long time. And I think a lot of that discourse in fandoms is really performative and really exhausting and and just not helpful or generative in any way. It can be like really showboating. Like, why aren't you talking about this? But I think I'm just not really seeing people reckoning very much with what these revelations about hockey culture and especially junior hockey culture mean for the way that we write fic or for our emotional investment in fandom. And how those revelations might change the way that we engage in fandom. And I think it's maybe one reason for that is it's just hard to do that without feeling like you're kind of moralizing to people. Like if you aren't talking about this, then you should be ashamed of yourself. So I just want to be clear. I think there are lots of valid reasons and like really emotionally legitimate reasons for distancing yourself from this or purposely taking a step back or not following it that closely. But Yeah, I just think I'm just curious about I just have been really interested in contrasting it with previous fandoms and then just thinking about like how it's changing my own relationship to the sport and how I feel about, you know, hockey thick and stuff like that.
1: I will say based on previous experience in the hockey fandom, there has been a lot, especially in the last five years of talk about what it means to be a hockey fan and what it means to be doing fandom ethically. Part of that, I think, has been due to the rising interest in moralizing fandom and moralizing doing fandom in a correct way. But a lot of people have very different takes on what that means. And we can see this going as far back as the downfall of the Blackhawks fandom. This happened before I was in fandom, so I only saw the aftershocks and what was left in like the wreckage um, after the Patrick Kane rape accusations that came out. And as I think many of us are familiar, um, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves were a very big ship previous to the accusations. And then those accusations, along with other accounts of reprehensible behavior by Kane led to a lot of ostracization and reckoning that happened with Blackhawks fans uh, coming to terms with their own fandom, with other fans reacting to that. And also, how all of that mixed up with what I believe, in my opinion, was a lot of resentment over the Blackhawks' success as a hockey team because they had three cups in what was it like six years? So I kind of entered hockey fandom in the aftermath of that. Once, like, you know, Blackhawks fans have kind of been had kind of been effectively ostracized from Tumblr hockey fandom and had been kind of sectioned off or had left the fandom entirely. Lots of people left, some stayed, and um, it really fragmented. Things From what I saw, there was a lot of people who refused to interact with Blackhawks fans, you know, people who um, refused to interact with people who continued shipping Kane and Taves. And that was kind of interesting to look at in reaction to the other hockey scandal that I was witness to, which was the 2018 Penguins visit to the White House, um, which had not an entirely similar effect, but it was it was very devastating to live through because a lot of people left fandom over that when the Penguins went to see Trump in the White House after they won the Stanley Cup, which was tradition for teams to go and visit. And that was also happening when other sports teams were refusing to go. And then they went and they were very quiet about it on social media. But it did not matter. A lot of people left the fandom because that was a line crossed. So we have seen examples of different fandom events that were like real world things with real world consequences impacting how people did their fandom. And I'm kind of curious as to if the silence about Hockey Canada's lawsuits is because of fandom's exhaustion with reckoning with these issues, because it feels like we've had a long line of situations where fans have had to reckon with the politics of their sport, or the sexism of their sport, the racism, the, you know, any sort of social failing that you can predict happening in the NHL, which is a league of incredibly wealthy, mostly white, mostly straight men, you are going to see that having repercussions in fandom. And with all that's happened, and with the amount of people who have turned to fandom in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, during the pandemic, like, interest in fandoms spiked as people were looking for things to occupy their time or things to comfort them and i wonder if the subsequent lack of desire to discourse about or even talk about or reflect on or process the hockey canada accusations and the fallout that we're seeing as these you know horrible and gut-wrenching articles are coming out is because people have lived through this before in hockey fandom and their desire to do hockey as something fun supersedes their desire to continue discussing the dark underbelly of hockey that's being exposed as more of these articles are getting publicity and people are talking about the downsides of hockey culture.
2: Yeah, I think what also makes the Hockey Canada case kind of special in that way, or maybe notable compared to some of the other major events of that kind that hockey fandom has had, was Just the fact that it really feels like it's not an individual failing in this instance, which, you know, it almost never is an individual failing, but it feels like Hockey Canada just makes that so clear because not only is is this not the Kane situation where you have one player, this is a group of people, and more than that, it's a group of people within a team, and we don't know who it is, so it, it could be essentially any part of that group could be uh, guilty or could be involved. And then you had the 2003 case coming out immediately after the first accusations came to light. So it really felt like just this one-two punch of this is not some kind of individual failing. This is not some kind of situation where there's a few bad apples or whatever people like to say. It's so clearly and so obviously systemic to hockey, to junior hockey, to Hockey Canada, that the reckoning connected to that obviously has to be so much larger and has to go so deeply into the root of this fandom and what it is and what it's built on that, to me, it really feels like it's an earthquake in a way that maybe some of the other things, like, you know, the Black Blackhawks scandal or the Kyle Beach situation or um, the White House visit, those were in some way relatively contained to a franchise. This is not. This is all of hockey. This is all of the NHL, Hockey Canada. And sorry for all the sirens. <laughs> <It> could <laughs> just well, be part of it. That's, I don't know. Or, yeah. or you yeah. can just leave it in, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> ambiance.
1: Yeah. Um, my thought too, Kit, about how it's increasingly obvious that this is endemic and not just isolated. I think the different issues that hockey RPF has had to contend with has been with the Blackhawks, um, Patrick Kane accusations, people were able to eschew it by blaming Kane and then blaming the Blackhawks. So if they excised the Blackhawks from hockey fandom, then they could maintain some illusion of purity amongst the rest of the teams. And then also adding on the double whammy of the mascot of the Blackhawks being controversial then you were able to pretend it was a blackhawks issue and not a hockey issue and then similarly when the penguins went to the white house in 2018 people were like it's a penguins issue it's that you know Sidney crosby is a coward for not saying more it's you know the penguins are wrong for going you know etc and and then the illusion in my opinion kind of started falling apart when the caps went to the white house immediately after Because a lot of the infighting in hockey fandom broadly after the Penguins went to the White House, a lot of it had to do with Penguins fans and Caps fans getting into it because Caps fans were angry that the Penguins had knocked them out of the playoffs. And then there's just rivalries that happen. And um, there was, you know, just resentment over the Penguins having repeated whatever that it intensified criticism because people had grudges against the Penguins. And if this was a legitimate slight that the Penguins were committing against their fans and Queer people, women, whoever, anyone who is understandably displeased by them visiting Trump, then that was intensified. But then the Caps won, and then the Caps went to the White House. Ovi brought the cup to Mar-a-Lago, etc. And I think that kind of started creating breaks in the method with which hockey fandom had been dealing with these scandals, which was acting as if they were isolated incidents that could be... You know extricated from hockey at large and i think people knew that because there's there have always been critiques about hockey fandom or hockey culture rather being noxious and horrible sexist racist homophobic but i think people were still trying to kind of cling to the idea that a hockey fandom could be good and being a hockey fan could be a moral way to operate you know you could you could make something good out of it but then when the caps immediately won and then also went to the White House you know, there wasn't as much room for critique. And then continuing on, then if we get to the Kyle Beach articles and news that came out about what the Blackhawks had done, which contributed again to continued ostracization of Blackhawks fans. But because in my opinion, a lot of those fans had kind of disappeared from mainstream hockey RPF spaces, like they had kind of cloistered themselves there wasn't really anyone to target that anger at and i think it was more introspective and talking about you know the dangers of hockey culture and then continually broadening it now we get these world juniors updates which are entirely about hockey culture at large so it's we're less able to pretend that these issues are the fault of one team or one player or you know one coach whoever and it's like no this is endemic this is happening everywhere on every team and when you can't leverage it against a team you don't like does it get talked about?
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like when you can't make it a stand war issue and when you also can't find a clear external villain to pin it on, because I think. You know, one of the things that we were talking about before this was I think the Kyle Beach situation was easier to have those reflective conversations about because there is a clear set of villains in that story, and it was the coaching staff in the front office, right? And I mean, there was some like spillover to how the Blackhawks leadership on the team handled it, but you know, like you said, they were already kind of in disrepute anyway. But I think in those cases, it's easy to just say, okay, well, we'll fire those people or we'll move on from those people. And then you can kind of have that bigger discussion about, you know, sexual violence in the sport or whatever. And it's it's harder to do that here because I think, I think one of the things that this drives home for me is it really like muddies the water over, we don't know who they are. We, I mean, we can kind of like, you know, use that list to guess, but even that doesn't really help because it is that like endemic problem. And it's like it goes so much deeper than just one team's actions or one, you know, one world juniors team's actions. So I don't know. I think, I think there is like a way that it makes this particular sandbox a lot less fun to play in because you don't know, okay, who is like a perpetrator, who is, um has been a victim of this, like through hazing, who is, um, has been complicit, like not saying anything when their teammates do these things and that gets really complicated Um I don't know. I guess I think back like what you said about there being a kind of exhaustion in the fandom of talking about these things. I think because I'm new to it, maybe this is where I'm doing a lot of that processing that other people have kind of made, drawn their own boundaries and made decisions long ago. Um, But, you know, I just think for me, it is prompting like thoughts about like, Like, what does it mean for me, like, as a woman to really deeply emotionally invested in athletes who are part of this sports culture that doesn't see me or people like me as fully human? And that this culture also really actively holds femininity and traits that are coded as feminine, like, you know, sensitivity or, you know, softness or whatever. Like, it holds those things in very vocal contempt and I don't know, it's just really interesting. I just feel like it's kind of changing the way that I think about my relationship to thick. It's also definitely changing the way that I think about the baby girlification like as a mode of fandom, you know? Like I found myself like in recent weeks being kind of like, I think I might want to distance myself from that particular way of engaging with these men. I don't know. Just, you know, because I think we do a lot of that sort of lightly subversive stuff where we're like kind of gendering them in these ways that makes us feel a little bit like we're bringing them closer to us and we're taking them out of this really aggressive hyper-masculine culture. But I don't know. I I just feel like, yeah, I don't have answers. I just feel like I'm really wrestling with, okay, like how do I want to do fandom going forward? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think there's also a very sort of vulnerability that
1: you have, to, you have to acknowledge in when discussing these issues because we're discussing things that are very personal to us. You know, like a lot of us are really invested in fandom and in fic and in these spaces where we take our, you know, creative or free time refuge. And when it comes to having those discussions about the sexual violence of hockey or the racism of hockey or the homophobia of hockey, it takes a lot of vulnerability to be willing to talk about those things in public. And I know I've kind of been turned off from it in the past just because I've seen how that has gone. And if you don't necessarily process or respond to it in the same way as others, there's always a chance someone will take issue with how you have decided to process your your desire to stay in fandom or your desire to leave fandom or how you continue operating or how you're willing to see the hockey players that you were fictionalizing. And I think that's In a way, I'm private about it because I feel like my thoughts about it are my business and the business of the people I choose to share it with. And, you know, we all use our blogs in different ways. And I don't, I've just seen people's thoughts weaponized against them so often that my desire to process it publicly has kind of been tempered just because I don't necessarily know that. I feel like I owe it to people to process those emotions in front of them. Um, Without, you know, m- my say-so, you know, I don't want to be put on the spot to do it. But um, also, I think another part of it is that I'm still trying to figure out how, how I do feel about everything. Because, like you said, being a, a woman in hockey fandom is the constant negotiation of, you know, how do you dedicate your creative interest to a sport that does not fully see you as human, like you said. You know, um, I've told the story to a few people, but the first time I ever went to a Penguins game, I was visiting Pittsburgh. First time I had ever stepped foot in the city. Went to a game, had a great time, even though we lost. <laughs> and after the game, me and my friend walked outside of the arena and we immediately got catcalled by a man in a Penguins jersey. And we were in our Crosby jerseys and it did not matter. So it's always kind of that negotiation of like that didn't scare me off of hockey, even though it was one of the few times in my adult life that I've been catcalled. So how do you negotiate staying in an environment that is potentially hostile to you? And it's so private for so many people. And seeing the fandom disasters that have happened in the past due to events like this, I don't necessarily blame people for being quiet about how they're processing this or they're doing it off site. A lot of people are doing their feelings on Twitter about this as opposed to Tumblr. Um, but even then it's more like a reblog, a quote t- and sorry, a retweet or a, you know, a quote tweet about it. It's not necessarily like an in depth thread about it, besides like factual threads. But I also feel like While I respect people's privacy, because I, I too, am relatively private about how I'm processing this, I think it can also be isolating for people, which I think is something that you've talked about, like, experiencing about, you know, I'm wondering about this. Is anyone else wondering about it, too?
2: For me, I think that when we compare it to these other instances, I don't want to take away from the specific nature of this case, because... Talking from my own perspective here, the reason that I don't really deeply engage with the Hockey Canada situation, for me, it was very much the case that I went into it thinking that I was going to deal with this, and then I very quickly turned around when I realized that it's not something I want to do. And that's to do, on the one hand, with just the nature of the accusation, like the brutality of the sexual violence the level of inhumanity or the degree of violence and very much for me, the graphic nature of the reporting. I think that the way that a lot of the reporting that I'm seeing is either graphic in nature or references, graphic, brutal and potentially re-traumatizing events and, and facts and reports I find really hard to deal with and really difficult to engage with. And then on the other hand, and this is calling back to something we talked about in episode zero already, we kind of share this space, especially if you go on Twitter or Instagram, not so much Tumblr, but we share this space with a demographic that is maybe not as typical for most other fandoms, which is cis straight men middle-aged men and older men and younger men and people you wouldn't normally see in a transformative fandom space let's put it that way and what I find almost as difficult to deal with as the Hockey Canada case itself is you know when I want to engage with something when I, I click on the tweet, with the reporting. I will see hundreds of men with the worst opinion I've ever seen in my life. Just out and proud, full name, picture, and heinous opinions about the victim, about hockey culture. And that is making it actively hard for me to engage. And that is, I think, something that is unique to sports fandom in that way.
0: Yeah, I think, I feel like I kind of had to stop reading the. The reporting like I feel like i've mostly been engaging with it in the updates that that they do on the mainstream sports podcast because I think the brutality of the descriptions was a lot to and, and is presented in a way that reporting encourages that really straightforward factual account, but that is just like not at all how I want to i i don't know yeah I just that I feel like i've had to draw some boundaries for myself around like how and where i 'm engaging with it. And then definitely also like the kind of opinions that you're exposed to in the comments or the replies or things like that. I guess the reason that I keep coming back to it is not because I have this feeling of like, why are we talking about this? Like we have an obligation to talk about this. But it's more it's more like what Beck was saying about like it feels very isolating. Like I feel like I'm more like upset about what it means to like be in this culture and like i think the not talking about it even though i totally understand intellectually that people are processing it in their own ways i think that not talking about it makes it hard for me to know how to like metabolize it you know what i mean like that feels very not like lonely but it feels like you're kind of grappling with this thing by yourself and that there's this unspoken understanding that we're all horrified and upset and processing this in our own ways but um I don't know, like I need like a fandom hug you know, or something like, or like some kind of, some kind of acknowledgement that these are things that are really difficult for us to like be exposed to on a daily basis. And especially to encounter it repeatedly, both in the forms of the graphic acts of violence themselves, but then also the kind of low grade, constant exposure to the opinions of men on the internet that really like wears away at your, your sense of, of yourself as human, right. Or like your sense of, of being recognized as fully human. I guess what I'm craving is not the moral certainty of this is the right way to talk about it or we have to have these conversations, but more the kind of solidarity of, wow, this is like really shitty and like really hard to be exposed to and like that you're not alone in feeling that way or in like struggling to know how to grapple with this.
1: And I will say too, something along the lines of grappling with it in a fandom context particular to us and how we operate in hockey fandom is I have a small like section of fic that I tend to write which is stuff that can get grimy it's you know a very specific erotica genre that deals with consensual non-consent or simply non-consent and other ethically dubious kinks that are adequately tagged for But are certainly more on edge and there is a bit more acceptance for them in mainstream society or at least the the part of mainstream society that talks about sexual kinks. But um, I know that I've been having issues writing stuff along those lines because of these cases and lawsuits that are coming out. Um, I have a fest that I'm helping run and I had a fic that I was going to write for it with the intention of it being grimy and just you know a fun little piece of erotica that I've written stuff very much like before and I've had a lot of issues with actually sitting down and putting pen to paper because all of this news about what's happened has kind of impaired me in a way and not and it's made it harder for me to eroticize stuff that is a living nightmare for the victims who have lived through it so it's been a negotiation with myself of like how I want to operate and when I can enjoy this stuff versus when I have to step back, the ebbs and flows of that and my desire to write fix that deal with morally ambiguous topics or kinks or elements that I'm playing for fun and for erotic, you know, kicks and how that actually balances out against the horrible reality of hockey and how I have to operate as a fic writer within that context.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely reshaping the way that I think about fic, too. And I guess I'm kind of of two minds here about how I use grimy fic, because that's a genre that I also work in. Like, I think I write thematically dark stuff that edges towards grime. And I think sometimes I gravitate towards the dark stuff because it's this way of exercising narrative control or agency over the situations I'm describing, like uh, the threat of sexual violence against women, against trans and non-binary people, against like young vulnerable people of all genders, like that threat is so omnipresent in our culture. And it feels like we're just exposed almost daily to these like depictions of violence and the violation of consent or the violation or disrespect of people's bodily autonomy. And I think sometimes for me, writing grime can be like the feeling people get from watching horror movies. It's like you get to see the horror, but it's contained. And as the author, I have the narrative agency over it. I get to decide what happens and when. And I also, like really crucially, I get to say, this is where it stops. And I get to say, this is how I'm going to depict it. And then I think crucially for me, I also get to write the healing. You uh, get to write like characters who heal and who have a story and a character beyond just being a victim of this brutal act of violence. And I think that for me is often what's missing in like the news coverage of these cases is that sense of this is a person and they have a life before, they have a life during, they have a life after. Um, but I guess the hard part is like, like Beck, I'm feeling more hesitation and more need to think carefully about what I'm doing and why. And I also feel like learning more about hockey culture makes me feel like I have more of an obligation to write fics that are, I don't know, that are real. Like I think sometimes, like I said, I find myself stepping back from the baby girlification. And even though that mode is super fun to work in, I just think a lot about how it might be humanizing a culture that is fundamentally inhumane, like fundamentally hostile to the humanity of the people who are caught within it or who are touched by it in some way. And it's not like all my fic from now on has to be super dark fic that deals like centrally with rape culture. Like I think it's still possible to write lighter-hearted stuff or stuff that isn't as digging deeply into the traumatizing aspects of the culture. But I think I want to make a shift towards... I guess like towards not romanticizing, like just being really careful about when I'm romanticizing or kind of sanitizing something that I don't want to be sanitizing, right? And I want to move towards, I I think I'm thinking about it as like a form of light realism. So it's not like everything has to be super dark, but definitely moving towards a more realistic portrayal of what it would be like to be queer in this culture or what it would be like to um, be part of a culture that you know, degrades women and, you know, is part of part and parcel of its fabric. Um, Yeah, I don't know.
1: I think my desire is not necessarily to incorporate more real world aspects of sexual violence, but it has made me contend with what does it say about me that I don't want to include that. And I've been trying to, like, have empathy for myself, you know, that, like, you're a woman existing parallel to hockey culture and you know you're you're doing your best as you're trying to you know navigate your interests and you're doing okay while also being like you know to what degree is it ethical to bring other people in to the fandom like if someone reads my fic and it's like oh my god i should get into hockey and like they haven't you know encountered hockey before am i misrepresenting anything to them is that my responsibility i don't think it is but i also don't think that necessarily absolves my feelings of you know ambiguity about the roles that we play in making these characters more empathetic than they perhaps are we don't know we don't know who they are but we are writing real people as characters and while I don't necessarily have a desire to use my fic to process the horrors of hockey that doesn't mean it doesn't play into it at any point you know I've written things that have grappled a bit with different aspects of hockey and You know, I don't think that fic is necessarily a revolutionary genre that has to be doing anything groundbreaking in regards to solving the hockey culture problem because we're such a microculture that I don't think it's huge that we do that. But at the same time, I think it's normal to have a lot of complicated feelings about where we situate in terms of the privileges that allow us to decide to be here because a lot of people don't decide to be here after witnessing the horrors of what's going on and also how that impacts us.
2: I think for me, a lot of that also comes back to the special role that RPF, real person fiction, plays within the ecosystem fandoms. Where you also have to grapple with some of these more difficult ideas and topics when you're writing any kind of fiction, any kind of romance, any kind of erotica or whatever. But the R, the real person, real life aspect of it, means to me that there is a different kind of ethics included or even if it's not a different kind of ethics there is a different um how do you say that um rpf requires you to actively draw your own lines and to establish your own ethos when it comes to how you participate in things how you create how you're a part of a fandom Because it relates so strongly to real life in a way that other fiction, that fictional fiction, let's put it that way, doesn't necessarily require you to engage with that aspect.
0: Kit, I really like that as kind of an ending point that I think there is something unique about real person fiction that demands like a different kind of ethical calculus than the kind of discourse that you can get in other fandoms where it's not actually connected to the real world, you know, even if it's like touching on real world issues there's something different about what we're doing here. And like, it requires a different kind of reckoning.
1: With the understanding, and I know we're all in agreement about this, but with the understanding that people all have different conclusions or different paths that they're going to take, that are going to lead them to decide whether or not they want to stay in hockey fandom and continue to participate in the hockey rpf fandom as they move forward and if they decide to process that publicly or privately how they process that at what point is the drawing line for them how do they ethically engage with rpf and everyone has a different path that they take to get to whatever conclusion that they will inevitably come to and a lot of us are still plotting our way along you know, this is. Fandom is an evolving, living, breathing thing. It's a community that we're all engaging in in very different ways. And I think ultimately what we want to leave people with is that we have a lot of empathy for the different ways in which people are processing all of the news, be it the World Juniors lawsuits, be it the Kyle Beach situation, even going as far back to the White House. We just have a lot of empathy for how we're all processing this differently and how we're all trying to navigate something that we enjoy, but something that we also have to grapple with simultaneously.
0: Thanks for joining us for our first Slapshot. We'll link to further resources and readings in the show notes. We also want to remind you that if you'd like to respond to this episode or to continue the conversation, you can always reach us at goodwoodpod on Tumblr or goodwoodpod at gmail.com.